your first drummer was uh, the John Stumpy Peeps. Oh, yeah. Great, great, uh, tall blonde geek with glasses. Yeah. Uh, good drummer. Great look. Good drummer. Good, yeah, good yeah, drummer. Fine drummer. What happened to him? He died. He he died in a bizarre gardening accident some years back. It's really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it. Yeah. It's not unsolved, yeah. really. You know. And he was replaced by uh, Stumpy Joe. Eric Stumpy Eric Joe. Child. Child. Yeah. And Eric. what happened to Stumpy Joe? Well, uh, it's not a very pleasant story, but no. uh, he's, uh, he, he died. Uh, he choked on uh, the, the the official explanation was he choked on vomit. It's actually he uh, away. was actually someone else's vomit. It's not exactly. <laughs> you know, there's no real. Well, they can't yeah, prove still... whose vomit it was. They, no. never, they don't have no. facilities in Scotland Yard no to, to print You can't really dust for vomit. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for part two of our interview with R. Gary Patterson. We pick up in this episode right about where we left off in the last one, where we start talking about Jimi Hendrix, his possible experience with a UFO, some of the strangeness around his death, and possible murder, which is something that he reveals here for the first time. We talk about the 27 Club, uh, which, of course, leads into the strangeness surrounding Kurt, Co- Kurt Cobain's death, uh, a little bit about Jim Morrison, and then Lobo busts out with some questions about David Bowie. Uh, a little bit about John Lennon, and then we move on to a little bit about Prince, since he passed away within the last year as well. Uh, we kind of go all over the map in this episode, and again, Gary's just full of information, and we have a really hard time trying to get him to stop, because we're just so anxious to hear all this stuff. Um, that's pretty much it. We'll see you guys at the other side. Peace. I was going to ask you about some of the strange things surrounding Jimi Hendrix, and then I want to move in some, to some of the more modern stuff, because I've never really heard you. You've covered Jimi Hendrix in the book a little bit, but in all the interviews that I've heard you on, I've never really heard you talk about Jimi Hendrix. We've covered the basics thus far. We've covered, you know, uh, the Led Zeppelin. We've covered uh, the Crosswoods legend and stuff. But Jimi Hendrix is one that you do write about, but I never really hear you talk about him. Talk about him a whole lot. And there's Let's all talk these, about yeah. There's all these like he was in he was into UFOs. There's the legend that mm-hmm. he faked his death or he knew his death was coming because he's left little clues throughout all of his songs. Um, you know, so talk to me a little bit about Hendrix because I'm also a big Hendrix fan. Mm. Well, I've got a story you're gonna love. Okay, and this is new. So let me just say. That when Jimi Hendrix came out, the reason I wrote about him and went into some detail was that I found, as I was researching Brian Jones, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, Pete Ham, all of them died at the age of 27. So that started what was called the 27 Club. And, you know, it's kind of amazing because I wrote about it in 1998, and now I hear it everywhere. So it says, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm the guy who created this 27 Club mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I didn't want and, to say uh, that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll take credit for it. That's not a bad thing the to be known for, thing, though, you know. It cements it, it, cements well, it yeah. in the folklore. 
And the Betty Holly curse, I've known pretty well for it now because it's big online and a lot of the other places people are trying to find it. And, uh, you know, but one of the things was that when I was headed to Florida one summer, I had my phone was blowing up because I had all these radio stations wanting to talk to me about Amy Winehouse dying because she was 27. Yep. So it starts the whole thing over. And now what yep, I, I do, thought of you when I read yeah. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. I thought it, I, I've been, I read, I read this book like a, a long time ago. So when all these little things pop up in rock and roll, I'm always like, I wondered if Gary knows about this. I wonder if Gary's going <laughs> to, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if Gary's thinking about this right now. And I'm not lying. You know, I, I every time no, you know, I, like when, when Bowie died, I was like, I wonder if Gary's got something on Bowie, you know, I do. <laughs> Prince I do, too. You, you know, know, I was, I always, I've always, when I, now whenever a, a rock star dies, I'm always thinking, I wonder if Gary's got anything on this guy, <laughs> but go yeah, ahead. Well, your actually, story. <laughs> I'm working, I'm working on a new book. So there's going to be some new stuff. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I remember that. I mean, now, when a rock star dies, I say, oh, my God, don't let him be 27. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things to end that with was somebody asked me if rock stars were aware of it. And I read an interview in BMI with John Mayer. And they asked John Mayer, they said, what do you think has been your most important uh, accomplishment in rock and roll? And he stops and he says, well, I made it past 27. I read that article. <laughs> did you? Yes, I did. So, you know, sometimes, you know. If you're 27, you're on your 27th birthday, what you got to do is you sort of don't fly in small planes. Don't play your electric guitar in a bathtub. Uh, I mean, don't make it easy for them. You know, wait till your 28th before you leave the house. But, so that's how I got into, I thought, wow, Jimi Hendrix, 27 too. So I wrote some little thumb scale things that I thought were interesting about him. And uh, Jimmy, I know his bass player, Billy Cox. And uh, I know that Curtis, you know, uh, Curtis Knight tells a story about how their car was flooded with light and it just killed the engine. And Hendrix got out of the car and went into the light that claimed to be a UFO. And if you read a lot of Hendrix's songs, lyrics, you know, like Castles Made of Sand, where he talks about the the shiny ship passing their way, Mm -hmm. uh, UFOs. Uh, 1984, a man, a mermaid, I should turn to be, you know, breathing underwater like Atlantis, like some sort of alien being. So he was very much fascinated with it. Now, probably the most interesting part about Hendrix is how did he die and was he murdered? So here's where it gets interesting. I recorded an interview with Tabby Wright who was a former roadie with the animals and he and Mike Jeffrey owned Hendrix's management and Tabby Wright went with Hendrix. If you know your Hendrix story, you know that Hendrix got busted in Toronto with heroin in his suitcase. Mm-hmm. Well, Hendrix really didn't use heroin, but he was convinced Mike Jeffrey had planted the heroin in his suitcase just to show him he could get him anytime he wanted. Now, one of the most interesting parts is when Electric Ladyland Studios was built, if you ever talked to Eddie Kramer, who did most of the engineering, when the studio was built, it was probably about a million dollars that had to be paid. Well, Jeffrey borrowed the money, but he he borrowed it from the mob. And when Hendrix was going to leave Jeffrey and go to another uh, manager, then Mike Jeffrey would be owing over a million dollars to people who would put you at the bottom of a river. 
So Hendricks had a $2 million life insurance policy. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because listening to him, at first when I taped him, I've got him on, uh, on an interview, and if you'd like to listen to it, I'll tell you where you can find it online. Yes, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> because I interviewed Zama Sultan, who was played percussion with Hendrix, and I'd always get to the question, what do you think happened to Jimmy? Because, you know, Mike, Eric Burden said he committed suicide, which really Mike Jeffrey hated. But what happened was he'd gone to Devin Wilson's apartment the night he died, and his girlfriend, Monica Daneman, who wrote everything we know about that night, uh, was blowing his horn, her horn outside waiting for him and embarrassed Hendrix. So he left and they go back to the flat. And Monica Daneman says, I fixed him a tuna fish sandwich and we went to sleep. I got up in the middle of the night. He was fine. So the next morning I got up to go get some cigarettes. And when I came back, I called the ambulance and the ambulance came. I rode in the ambulance and the ambulance drivers had Jimmy sitting in the wrong uh, position and he was probably asphyxiating. They took him in the hospital. The doctor told me that he was going to be all right. And I was sitting there waiting and then he's dead. You've heard that story, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, none of yeah. it's true. Well, he supposedly oh. threw up. Uh, he threw up and choked on his own vomit. That's that's the story that, that I've always was, been told. That's what you will get ready to hear another version. All right. And I want to tell you how my mind always works in a different way on this, I guess, because, you know, when I write, I don't write about obituaries. If people are expecting me to write an obituary of Prince, you're not going to find it. The only thing that gets to me that I like to write about is when you have rock and roll crossing the twilight zone. All right. Mm. That gets my interest. Sort of a Robert Block short story, whatever. Nice. And uh, so I found out that no one had interviewed the ambulance drivers that night. No one had interviewed the doctor at the hospital. And Kathy Etchingham, who was Jimmy's girlfriend in London when he first got there, he wrote The Wind Cries Mary for her. Mm -hmm. And I said, why did he call her Wind Cries Catherine? Well, her, her name was Mary in the middle. So when they talked to the ambulance drivers, the ambulance drivers say, when we got to the flat, the door was wide open. Jimi Hendrix was dead on arrival, and no one was there with him. What? Yes. And they've sworn to it. So Kathy Etchingham was not in the room. She didn't call the ambulance. Uh, we don't know who called the ambulance. Now, one version of the story is that she had some uh, illegal substances in the apartment. She was trying to clear it out. The other thing is there is no store that sells cigarettes, you know, in a great distance from where they lived. Mm -hmm. She couldn't have just walked out to go get it. And the second th or the third thing is, why did she call Eric Burden and ask what to do? You know, because mm -hmm. Hendricks had been dead for an hour. Now, so he was dead. They took him to the hospital, his DOA. And then this is the part that always puzzled me. When they did uh, the coroner, did the inquest, he found his blood alcohol level. And then he found, he mentions that Ann Hendrix's hair was like a whole bottle of wine. Hmm? And that, yes, like a bottle of wine had been poured into his hair. So I always thought that was kind of funny. But the blood alcohol level was like drinking one beer. Mm -hmm. Really? And the coroner said that when he examined the body, <clears throat> that wine was oozing from his mouth. Now, 
you know, I thought, Lord, you know, that that's crazy. The other thing is that Jimi Hendrix hated tuna fish. So that story about eating the tuna fish sandwich, that's, that was a lie. Mm-hmm. Now, here's All where the great rock stars die, uh, die choking on some kind of a sandwich, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> the mama cats. Don't do the mama cats. <laughs> but the funny thing about, before I get back to the Hendrix conclusion here, was that Mama Cass, when she died of a heart attack, she was staying in a flat that was owned by Harry Nilsson in Mayfair. And then, uh, after she had died three years later, Keith Moon of The Who went with Buddy, went to uh, the Buddy Holly musical on the London West End with Paul McCartney on September 6th. He comes home, he gets up during the night to take some medication to help him with his drinking problem, and he overdoses. So he dies on September 7th, Buddy Holly's birthday, after watching the Buddy Holly play, (laughs) and he died in the same apartment that Mama Cass died in. Oh, God. Uh, now see that's what i that's what i'll those are the stories i like and it says oh well, these two people died on the same i mean you gotta have the twist you know what i mean so let's do the twist on hendrix i was told that you can hear on this interview that three men went into the apartment and they were they had bottles of wine and what they did, Hendrix had taken a number of sleeping pills, actually none, and it actually stops your gagging reflex. Mm-hmm. And they held him down, and they actually waterboarded him with bottles of wine, which means they opened his mouth, held his nose, and poured the wine directly into his lungs. What? Ugh. And he drowned with the wine into his lungs. Had it filled them. Now... The question I have is, if he had drank all this wine enough to keep throwing it up, why was there so little alcohol in his bloodstream? Yeah, that's a good question. Because was he, was he, you know, now, just to be clear, was he conscious when they supposedly did this, or was he was he, he was, unconscious when they when they when they wine boarded him or water boarded him or whatever? Well, they held him, so if they held him, they had to hold him down. But he was probably so far out of it because of the pills. Mm-hmm. And these were very, very powerful sleeping pills. And he took nine, all right? And uh, so I don't know if he took them, but the story goes that when they announced his death, Eric Burden went on BBC and he said, I read Jimmy's last poem. I think it was Triumph of Life. And he says, I'm convinced he committed suicide. Mike Jeffrey goes ballistic. Now, here's the problem. If you commit suicide, your insurance policy is no good. Yep. So he had to prove that Hendrix had died accidentally. And that's where the uh, asphyxiation with his own vomit came in. Actually, it was an open verdict. Mm-hmm. Or at the world of rock and roll, as we love to call it, death by misadventure. Same thing that killed Brian Jones. <laughs> now, this shadowy figure, Mike Jeffrey, was with the MI5 earlier. He was an expert in explosives and like CIA in Britain. And uh, people were terrified of him. Matter of fact, the week Hendrix died, he was kidnapped, tied in a chair, blindfolded. And Mike Jeffrey is the one who finds him and rescues him. Now, was he sick? What? His heart? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you did ask about something about Hendrix. If no, I no, this is great. This it. is this is great. This is just the craziest story that I've ever. I've never heard anything like this before. I've never heard this. Well, see, guys, that's what I like. I like being the first one who can tell you this stuff. And 
So what happens is they decide, since Mike Jeffrey not only took the insurance policy, he had the royalties. And there was a lawsuit brought for Al Hendricks, Jimmy's father, to get the money to the Hendricks family. Well, there was an inquest, and uh, let's see, Mike was in Spain, and he was ordered to come back to England, so he got on a plane, and then miraculously over France, the plane blows up. Everyone is killed on the plane, and the only thing they find is Mike Jeffrey's watch. There are some people who believe, since uh, he was an expert in explosives, before you had to go through all the search and seizures they do now, mm -hmm. that he set this thing to escape, and he had enough money from royalties that he could change his identity. Now, that's the ultimate conspiracy story. But, you know, I know that what makes it interesting, though, is after Hendrix's funeral, uh, Devin Wilson, who he wrote the song Dolly Dagger for, who was actually the one he really loved, the groupie, she mm -hmm. gets a swan dive off the Hotel Chelsea. So she's, she commits suicide. After Kathy Etchingham sues Monica Daneman, who I will tell you on the tape that I'm going to give you an address for. Uh, let's see. I think Tabby said that he heard Mike Jeffrey say, well done, darling. Here's your money. Ooh. Which would imply that she gave him the pills and she left the door open for the murderers. Now, you know, I, I heard that and I thought, oh, my gosh, surely that, that really can't be true. But what would the motive be? Remember, the night he died, he had been at Devin Wilson's and uh, they hated each other, the two girls. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, there can be reasons with that. And then after losing a suit to Kathy Etchingham for defamation, Monica Damon pulls her Mercedes to the side of the road and takes out a hose puts it to her muffler, runs it into her car, and asphyxiates herself on carbon monoxide. Jeez. When Noel Redding died, he always believed Hendricks was murdered. So in this interview I'm going to let you listen to, I'm going to ask Zama Sultan if he thought he was murdered and about Mike Jeffrey, and he tells what he thinks. Now, all of this happened. Why do they not open up the case and explore this? And the answer is, everybody's dead. Who do you arrest? Same thing with Brian Jones. Listen, when Brian Jones died, explain this question to me. How could a guy with asthma drowned in a pool and his body be at the bottom within three to four minutes? That's not how it works. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not how it works. But lungs, you know, they seize up. You don't let yep. any air in. Yep. And yet he was at the bottom of the pool. And then, to make it even more interesting, Frank Thorogood, according to a couple of sources, actually confessed on his deathbed, and he said, it was me that did Brian. And then his family said, no, no, he was just, this guy created the whole thing so he could make this book up. That night, Brian Jones' girlfriend leaves England, doesn't come back for years. Two of, two of uh, well, one of the guys who was in the Walker Brothers, the band in Great Britain, was headed to Jones' estate, and he and another partygoer uh, party see two men holding Brian under the water. Another man runs up to him with his fist in their face, and he says, if you tell anybody, you'll be next. So they kept this story for years. Well, why don't the police in London open the investigation of Brian Jones? When Jones died, death of misadventure, he was buried in a public cemetery because they could not bury him 
in a churchyard with his family because his death was suspect. They thought it could have been suicide. Hmm. So, you know, you have legends who deserve the truth. And the thing with Jimi Hendrix would be, you know, extremely interesting to have those answers or those questions to the answer. And every time I see something on Hendrix, like the last 24 hours, they don't answer those questions. Yeah, they don't even and, they don't uh, even approach him like this. Well, I've always no. heard the rumor that there was always been that rumor that he faked his own death, and he left clues in it, like um, "Live Today." There's clues in there, and there's there's all these songs and stuff where he leaves little messages that he either knows he's going to die or he faked his own death. And I've never really bought that. I've never I've never bought that idea. No. And then uh, years later, I heard well, Al Hendricks' dad is now also passed on, but um, they've asked Al Hendricks about this, and Al, no, that's not how it worked, and blah blah. Al, Al was a kind of a, a unique character unto himself. Um, yeah. So I've never really bought the whole thing that Hendrix faked his own death. Um, but there was peculiarities to it. There was all these really off, off the wall little things to it. And they always just kind of brush these things under the table and just push them aside as like, well, yeah, that's just part of the mystique of the legend of a rock star dying and things like that. But there's weirdness mm. to it, you know, cause he was, and I'm not implying there was any, you know, voodoo or magic or anything like that involved, but he was also very into, uh, into magic and, and occultism and stuff. Hence the, you know, the song voodoo sure. child and all of these other things. But, um, yeah, I've never heard any of this. I, I it never even occurred to me that he could have been killed like that. It's it's it, it blows my mind. Uh, legitimately, it actually does. <laughs> so well, you know, it's just odd. I mean, it really is. And uh, you know, I would like to find the answer. I would like to have someone answer those questions because I have. If that's true, then I have a tape of a man. He's telling me how a murder was committed that he knows true. I asked him, I said, do you know the men who did it? He goes, yes, I do. They're still alive. He said, but if I say anything, I'm next. That's what he told me. How long you can ago hear was this? It. This was last year. Oh, wow. Is this available online? or? <laughs> I mean, are you going to give the web address out on the air, or is this something i got to pester you? Oh, my gosh. I, no, no, no. <laughs> You think your listeners would like to hear it? Yeah. The whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I absolutely I'm going to say do. yes. Uh, yeah, I absolutely let me, do. Let me tell you where it's at. And uh, I'll tell you that. Put a link in our I've show notes. Con- okay, cool. I've got a contract for a national radio show. And uh, right now we're finding a studio we want to produce it in. So what we did is we produced a, a show that you can listen to. And it's on Hendrix. And you can find it at www.spiritofrock.com. I'm sorry, spiritofrockradio.com. And uh, when you go to the site, it has our biographies, it has our pictures, has a couple little cartoon things about us. And then if you'll click on the, on the, the interview, the show, then you'll hear a produced show we did on Jimi Hendrix. I had a, I remember when I recorded it, I had a, some bad allergies which are getting to me to be bad now since i've never had them before but in the last few years this time of year it always gets me but you can hear it and you can hear tebby wright talk about it and you know we interviewed him and he was in london and he's on i guess we did about an hour so everything i told you you can you can listen to and hear the questions so those are see this is what interests me you know, I know that 
a lot of people were into the Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too, because, uh, again, when, when that happened, I was like, I wonder, you know, when the whole thing about Courtney Love came up supposedly actually killing him and him not killing himself and that it was a murder, I had spoken to somebody else that interviewed about it. I was like, do you think Gary knows anything about this? And they said, no, I don't think that's Gary's bag. Gary probably wouldn't cover anything like this. And I said, I don't know, man. It's... You know, if there's something weird about that, I could I could see Gary being interested in it. And I am. So. I'll tell you a story real quick. When I did VH1 Confidential, there was on our first episode, we did Who Killed Kurt Cobain. I love and, that show, uh, by the way. Oh well, yeah. Uh, thank you. I know that Alan. Oh gosh, Hillman, who did uh, who wrote the thing about was the the writer was a friend of mine and i remember that when we brought him in we interviewed uh, a number of people including a coroner that we found out later was good friends with courtney love so i guess what we need to do is we got to find out why if it was a murder why would it be done well i was good friends with cynthia lennon who was john lennon's first wife and when she comes home and she sees john and Yoko in her home, and and Yoko's got her bathrobe on. She leaves John, they get a divorce, and she made 100,000 pounds is all she got from millions of dollars. That's pennies. So, yes, that's pennies. And here's the thing. If you're divorced, you get a settlement. If you're a widow, you get all the royalties forever. Hmm. So... You may be talking about a couple of hundred thousand dollars as millions of dollars. So I'm not saying she did it. I'm just giving you the theory. All right. So a widow is much more wealthy than a divorced wife. And uh, the Cynthia Lennon story gives you an example of that. So let's say, okay, that's why. That's, you know, it's better to do that. And if someone spent a hundred thousand dollars to have him taken care of, but you got to look at it. I mean, some of the things that amaze me. The first thing was, why would a guy take an overdose of heroin that would kill him in minutes? And then, after he does that, he lies down calmly and takes a shotgun and puts it in his mouth and kills himself with a shotgun when all it took was the heroin. Why would he do that? And the second thing was, that, or about the shotgun, was when the police came in, Kurt Cobain was not a tall guy. And they found the shotgun laying you know, up to his mouth. And his arms were to the side. Well, don't try this at home. But, uh, if you'll notice, for the person's going to kill himself with a shotgun, your arms are too short to pull the trigger. You if you're going to have it foot. in your mouth, you got to use your foot. My which boy means Brian you did take, that. Mm-hmm, you got to take your shoes off and you got to put your toe on it. And that's what does it. That mm-hmm. didn't happen in his case. Now, the other thing that concerned me was. Uh, why were there no f- fingerprints on the shotgun? A man does not shoot himself in the head and have enough time to wipe his fingerprints off. Typically not, no. Typically <laughs> not. So I'm amazing. So one thing we were going to put on the show that they didn't let us put on the show, conspiracy theory. You ready? Um, so maybe I better set the stage. The first time I went to Hollywood to work with VH1, I went to their offices. Their offices have like three or four 
stories or, you know, floors you go to. And you have a guy who has to check you in and not when you park your car, they wait for you by the elevator. They find out if you're going to VH1, MTV, whatever, then they push you the floor number and there you go. So you can't go to one floor. Do you know that VH1 and MTV have different acts back in the days where they both played music that they promoted? So you would never see Nirvana on one of the VH1. Yeah. They would not be there. And then you wouldn't see the strokes or you wouldn't, you know, they all had their bands. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we were going to tell a story about Kurt Cobain's credit card. You know that Kurt's body, I think he was what, lay there for like three days before they found him? Yeah. Someone had taken his credit card and had charged everywhere for days. But as soon as they announced they'd found his body and it was suicide, the credit card stopped. Nobody used it again. And I always thought, isn't that odd? And then I realized that somebody could probably control if you could show a video or not. And that would be a financial pressure. Mm. I'm not going to say who somebody would be. Could be network. Could be anybody. But, you know, you got to think that. And, I mean, well, when you take credit a look. Card companies this, dispute that, though? or, you know, or Well, no. I mean, they could, they could sit there and say, well, yeah, this credit card was used. Somebody probably stole it. Well, uh-huh. if it was stolen, then somebody knew he was dead and took it from his wallet. Yeah. And then it was not being used. Then you could say, well, maybe those charges were actually made earlier and they were given this date by the time they actually get through the, the processing. So, you know, you, you think about that. And then you think about El Doce, who uh, meets some strange guy. They decide to go out and have a few drinks. And El Doce, the singer, falls under a train mm. after conf- saying, hey, I was offered $100,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. Now, that's odd. And then <laughs> Kristen Pfaff, who was the bass player in Hole, uh, she was terrified. She leaves Seattle, goes back to Ohio when she was playing in Janitor Joe, and she goes back to the city to pick up her equipment. And she had been a junkie, but she goes out and she's laying, uh, uh, she's going to take a bath. She tells her boyfriend to go out and, you know, she's just going to take a nap. So he hears her snoring in the bathroom. So he leaves. But the last person she saw was the guitar player in Hole. He comes over. So you have this strange coincidence that, you know, it was the last she saw when her boyfriend comes back. He goes to bed because he thinks she's still sleeping. He wakes up; she's dead of a drug overdose. But she had so he leaves her sleeping in the bathtub. Is that am I understanding you correctly? Here snoring. Who does that? (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. So, I guess Seattle became a bad luck city, you know, Mm. and it pulls her in too. And of course, Kristen Pfaff just happened to be twenty-seven years old too. But you know, and so so was Kurt Cobain, and. so as you look at all yeah, that, his I mean, mom said either he went off and joined that stupid club. Is that that was the quote yeah, she said, that's, right? And that's the one I use for the club. Uh, in Hellhounds on the Trail, I have a whole chapter called the club, and then I wrote under it. Now he's gone and joined that stupid, stupid club. club yep. I told him not to join that stupid club, mm. and I thought mm, the club twenty seven. Yeah, that's what started the whole thing was Kurt Cobain's mom giving me that great line in a Time Magazine interview. But just the the whole thing of that, there's so many things that are just strange. One of my strangest murders 
uh, was first of all, it goes back to the Buddy Holly curse. There was a guy's name was Bobby Fuller. I know that name. Song. Remember that name? He did a yep. song called I Fought the Law and the Law yeah, One. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that great, song. Great, great song. Well, it was written by Sonny Curtis, who yep. was one of the members of the Crickets. Yeah. And when Buddy Holly died, Bobby Fuller sent his demo tape to Buddy Holly's mother and father. So they take the tape and they pass it on to Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico, where Buddy recorded and uh, Norman Petty signs him. He has a couple of regional hits, and then he moves to Hollywood. When he gets to Hollywood, he gets with Delphi Records and Bob King. That's when he cuts I Fought the Law. And the last song he cut was a song called Love's Made a Fool of You, which was written by Buddy Holly. Mm. Well, one night, he gets a phone call at 1 o'clock in the morning. His mother had come in from Texas to stay with him. And she hears him talking, and he turns to his mom. He says, listen, i got to go out for a while, but I'll be right back. Can I borrow your car? And I think she had an Oldsmobile. Now, he had a Corvette. He just bought it, but he borrows his mom's car. He takes off. He doesn't come back the rest of the night. They start calling the manager. Nobody can find Bobby. So later that late afternoon, she can hear the car pull into the garage area. So she waits. Everything's fine, but he never comes in. So she goes out to the garage, and she opens the door, and there's Bobby Fuller lying across the driver's seat. He'd been badly beaten, bruised face, chest. His left index finger was broken, and they found gasoline in his stomach, and it was a can of gasoline in the back seat. When the police got here, Bob Keane, who was the owner of Delphi, comes to find the body, he talks to the police, and the police have the uh, the gas can throwing it in a dumpster. And he huh? says, what happened? What's happened here? And Billy said, oh, it's always some rock and roller he overdosed or some rock and roller he committed suicide. Mm. Well, see, here's the thing. You cannot drink gasoline <laughs> because as soon as you drink it, you regurgitate it. Yep. So he had to be dead before the gasoline was poured in his mouth. And mm. uh, so here's a guy who was no way – he could have beaten himself as badly as he did, break his index finger on his left hand, which is uh, very important for guitar players, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, and just die. And so that story's never been answered. What happened to Bobby Fuller? Now, Delphi Records, Bob King, he had three top recording artists. Sam Cooke, remember what happened to Sam? Mm-hmm. Murdered. Yeah. Or uh, killed by the landlady, as they'll say. His <laughs> death's very suspicious. Always liked the idea that his wife got married a week after he died. But anyway, it's a little fishy. It's a little, a little fishy. fishy. And then uh, I will tell you that the guy she married was also with Janis Joplin the night she died. What? But y'all, you know, uh, too much information for one night, guys. I'm good stuff, <laughs> man. Good stuff. Did, uh, the, the second thing is his second artist was a guy named Richie Valens who was with mm-hmm. Buddy Holly the night the plane crashed and uh, had done O'Donna and mm-hmm. La Bamba. Yep. Now, I know that uh, Richie's girlfriend, Donna Ludwig, who's also lucky enough to be, for me, to, that she's a friend of mine, always talked about she just did not feel right about Bob King. And poor Donna, her father wouldn't let her date Richie Valens. And as soon as she finds out at school he's killed in the plane crash, her dad picks her up and says, come with me. We're going to a recording studio. And he takes her into a recording studio, and he makes her record a song called Lost Without You, Donna to Richie, to make money off of it, the American oh. way. 
And then the third artist he had was Bobby Fuller. So he has three major artists, three major deaths. And Bob Keane was investigated by the FBI because Jimi Hendrix, if he uh, died from asphyxiation, somebody got $2 million. And Bob Keane had a million dollars on each one of his artists. And I remember doing the interview with Bob Keane where he says, well, you know, why would I want to kill my three top artists? Because, I mean, I might have got a million in their policies, but I could have made many, many more million if they'd lived. So it goes into the idea that sometimes a dead artist is worth more than a live artist. Yeah, that, they were, that was being said about Whitney Houston when Whitney Houston died and Michael Jackson as well. That um, yeah, when Whitney Houston died, her record sales skyrocketed, and then with the they Michael always Jackson, do, though. yeah, they do. But with both situations, there was with Michael Jackson as well. There was shadiness going on with the record contracts, with things with the record companies at the time. Um, now, I certainly don't. I, I don't know if I believe or disbelieve that either one of them was killed by the record industry to to make right. you know money, but. You know, <laughs> there is some weirdness to them. Um, Lobo, before we, we well, now that we've got you to stop for a second, Lobo, what was the next one you wanted to go with? Anything on Bowie. I guess one of my strangest stories, you know, a lot of people said that Bowie, uh, <laughs> Bowie was into Crowley, too. And mm-hmm. by the way, one of the cool things about when you mentioned the name, Alistair Crowley, remember it rhymes with holy. You know, even Ozzy calls it Mr. Crowley, but it's actually pronounced holy. So I thought that was pretty good. But actually, a boy wasn't into Crowley. Mm-hmm. It's a tongue twister. Uh, but he was into <laughs> the occult. And, you know, he would do these symbols where he believed you could go into dimensions. Well, he mm-hmm. had this house that he rented in the Hollywood Hills that he was convinced was possessed. And some sort of dark force was in the home. So Bowie calls a friend of his who happens to be a paranormal expert to do an exorcism of the house. Now, remember, he rented it. He didn't own it. So the guy comes, and they go out by the pool. And he starts, Bowie starts reading his book of exorcism, and this huge noise starts happening. And they see this huge black shadow. It scares the guy to death who comes to help. And anyway, Bowie's standing there. He's shaking. And they commit, or they do an exorcism. And when they do the exorcism, there's this huge black stain on the pool wall where this thing had gone into it. So, you know, Boy was really into that. That's one of the more interesting, strange stories with Boy, is the night that he did the exorcism and uh, in the house. So he was, you know, he was into that, into, uh, into the occult because it was the time that everybody was in 66, 67, early 70s. I mean, you walk down Carnaby Street, you'd see people walking around with magician's hats, you know, like uh, with the big pointed ones like yeah, Mickey Moore and yeah. Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but I always thought that was one of the more interesting, strange stories, you know, was the exorcism that, that Boy was involved with. Well, we're and coming also, up. Oh, go just, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, are we almost through? I'm sorry. No, go right ahead. I was ahead. just going to tell you. Oh, I'll let you talk look, all night. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> when we did the, uh, you do the story of the murder of John Lennon, which is another interesting one, because I've often wondered why that Nixon wanted to get him out of the country so fast. Well, if you'll think about the date, what happened in 1972 and that was the first year that 18-year-olds could vote. 
and mm. a group raised on the Beatles would definitely listen to John Lennon on who to support politically. That's why Nixon wanted rid of him. Now, the thing is that with Mark David Chapman, I know that when he lived in Georgia, that he went into a home and stayed there where an exorcism took place. The girl whose parents owned the house was exorcised from demons, according to her father. And Chapman lived in the house, and he was convinced that Mark David Chapman was possessed. And if you read, I'll take, let me take you down, the story of Chapman, there's a scene where he calls on the devil to give him the strength to kill John Lennon. And then there is a story that an exorcism took place in prison with Chapman. So when you're talking about the exorcist, it was in rock and roll. And there's one I'm writing about in my next book. It's really terrifying. So I'll have to hold that one back so you guys will bring me back on the show sometime. Oh, you're, you're definitely coming yeah, you're back. Not, <laughs> Almost, not even a we're not even tapping a quarter into the stuff that a we quarter? wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did want to say um, where I was going to go next is we're coming up on the, well, I think it just passed the year anniversary of, hour. of Prince passing away. Yeah, well, yesterday. No, today. Was today was the it? anniversary no. of it? Uh, it was either yesterday or today. Yeah. You're right. So, I mean, do you have anything on Prince or anything like that? Do you, since, since, like I, I said, every time somebody passes away, I'm always going, I wonder if Gary knows anything about, you know, anything <laughs> on regards to this person passing away or anything. So do you have any Prince well, stories or anything? Well, the thing that gets me about Prince was this is just totally out of the blue. Yeah, it was completely you know? blindsiding. Yeah. You know, now let yeah. me ask you this. When Amy Winehouse died, did you ever act surprised oh no no it was just a you know there there are people that when you like kurt cobain as much as it sucked it really wasn't a huge surprise the same thing with lane stanley you know that these people had drug problems so when you hear Ooh, about some them of us passing, still kill ourselves though I yeah mean. but you know you know it's, it's when, when it's with stars and you hear about like amy winehouse and she she definitely had issues and they were no secret they she wrote songs about being you know not going to rehab and you know, right. she was comfortable with being exactly. a drug addict. So that wasn't Rehab a surprise. Rehab not fun. Let's put it that way. Rehab yeah. is not fun. Whereas but, with Prince, you, it, it was so out of the blue. It was so like you hear it, you know. Yeah, it, it was Bowie terrible and shots. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when I we say that about, you know, you could tell, well, Keith Richard's still with the city. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, there's a legend you know, that he the, had the blood transfusion to beat heroin. Right. Him, his whole so. body blood transfusion yeah. and all that. Yeah. And his girlfriend, Anita Pallenberg, uh, yeah. would pull a car over and took a handkerchief and dipped it in the blood of a dying man who was hit in an accident. So you had this whole bit about the occult with the stones. We'll have to talk about that more in detail next time. But, you know, you know it's just odd because when he died, you didn't have any. The first thing you think about is it's a drug overdose. And when it happened, the night he died, I was on Coast to Coast talking about it. And, you know, you can, you can sort of make predictions. You can predict, well, it's probably a drug overdose, but you don't want to say that. And then you'll sit there and say, within three days, somebody's going to say that he faked his death and he's alive somewhere else. Yeah. And that's what happened with Michael like Jackson. So, <laughs> yeah, and Tupac. He's, yeah. You know, oh, so you hear in Biggie Smalls. And Elvis. Anybody the whole nine so, yards. Yeah, Elvis. They all live on the island. Paul McCartney. Of, uh, yeah, all dead. <laughs> we'll they get that one another on next show. <laughs> yeah. But when you do this, I mean, the whole thing with Prince, you know, you had to wait and let it unfold. Because you really didn't have, I mean, 
if you're going to talk about the big one, Illuminati and rock and roll. All right. Mm-hmm. The idea of the secret societies and uh, that, you know, that sometimes you have artists that are sacrificed. That's the idea of uh, one thing that came about with Prince. And then, uh, oh, no, let's go where it says, don't let the elevator bring you down. And that's where they found his body. I never thought of that. Wow. And, uh, you know, so you think about stuff like that. It's like you were saying, you know, hindsight's always 2020. When somebody dies, we reexamine the lyrics and say, I wonder if he knew this or I wonder if he was putting something there. And the thing about rock stars, when they die, they really can't be dead because you turn on your radio and there they are. So you'll always hear Jim Morrison do Riders on the Storm and you'll hear all these artists come through. But, you know, the, the thing with Prince was tragic. And to think how many songs that he's left that he hadn't released. I mean, now they're going to probably release 10 albums of new Prince material he had written before his death. And then the next rumor is going to be, see, he's live. Listen, this is a new song. Yeah, by I don't Prince. think so, because everybody knew mm. about that vault, you know, they did. And it's mm-hmm. probably yeah, but you you got people that believe the world is still flat, bro. So yeah, well, true. And think about how many uh, Jimi Hendrix albums came out after he died. Oh yeah, true. absolutely. True. I may or so may not have bought have all a... of them. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but uh, I'm getting into rock and roll memorabilia pretty strong. I know where there's two Jimi Hendrix Stratocasters mm-hmm. that he owned, and I would love to have one. But the last one went on auction for. One million dollars, so we may so have to pool our money. <laughs> so, in regards to Prince, though, is it is it believed that he was actually killed, or you know, or was it is that same is the same with all the other rock when he dies? It's like they want to do it to make money off of his off of his record sales after he passes away, or yeah, you know, because he he had back problems from what I understand because he wore the high heel yeah. shoes and he was really concerned about his size, and that was what gave him the back pain, and which is why he took so many painkillers. For the most part. Well, right. And, of course, then the latest news on it is they went into his uh, home and they found all these prescriptions that weren't made out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so, his bodyguard or one of his servants mm-hmm. or something. And they were found all over the house. He had a stash, like, right. wherever he needed them, they were they were somewhere in his house. That's typical, though. Yeah. Now, you know, normally if you're going to be killed by someone to gain money from your, your passing, you're usually burnt out and you're not recording anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Prince, you know, he had a number of great albums. And not only that, he was a heck of a songwriter because he wrote hit songs for other groups. Mm-hmm. So he was pulling in plenty of money so he wouldn't fit into the Johnny Ace story, you know. Well, uh, he was always recording, means, you know, too. Uh, like, every room in his house yeah. was wired for sound. Every room. Right. And he had parties. <laughs> people would come over. I mean, and he would listen he to him without I, people knowing about it. <laughs> yeah, and and the whole thing is, I mean, he was tight. I mean, he was influenced by James Brown. Mm-hmm. He was influenced by Michael Jackson, and uh, but the way his death happens, it just seems like the classic death by misadventure. You know that uh, he had a medication, especially the story where he had the plane land, uh, and they wouldn't admit him, and you know he had. Uh, they they were finding evidence of uh, drug overdose, and it, it sort of just follows the pattern. It's just not something that, like out of the blue, because there's a pretty good record of what all happened that night when he was doing his uh, solo tour. And I remember, I think he was leaving Atlanta, wasn't it? Was the last show he yeah, did? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, so and people had seen him there, and you know, I mean, he he never complained. 
but you know he was in in terrible pain and uh while i mentioned the name james brown i'll tell you this that nobody knows i know james brown's uh, best friend who's a white guy his name's fred davis and he has a book that's going to be coming out on james brown but he told me that there were three people who had a dream the same night after James Brown died and that James Brown appeared in the dream saying, you've got to move me out of here. He said, they had me here with all these bodies. They had me here against a wall. So they go to the funeral home in Georgia, because if you remember when he died, they didn't bury him for weeks. And when he went to talk to the uh, undertaker, they take him down where the bodies are. And there's James Brown's body up against a wall. Oh, mm, wow. Surrounded with corpses, just like they all three saw in the dream. And, you know, it's just something like burial practices of rock stars. When Dwayne Allman was killed in a motorcycle accident, I mean, when I talk about the Allman brothers, and you read that in Take yeah. a Walk on the Dark Side, Butch Trucks told me the story about how uh, Dwayne Allman had the overdose of opium in Nashville, and they rushed him to the hospital. His fingertips were blue, and it was October 29th. 1970, and uh, they rushed him in. The doctor said he's not going to make it. Well, Barry Oakley goes running out into the parking lot, falling on his knees, screaming, crying to God, saying, God, just give him one more year. Just give him one more year to live. And about 20 minutes later, the doctor comes in. He says, listen, I don't know what happened. I've never seen this before, but he's going to make it. Hmm. So Dwayne Allman lived, but... Be careful what you ask for, because Dwayne Allman died on October 29th, 1971, exactly one year to the day that Barry Oakley asked for one more year. And Barry Oakley was killed the same way on a motorcycle, except he hit a bus and not a, a wrecking ball truck. And uh, he died one year and 13 days later. Now, here's a story I... I have tried for years to find, and I'm going to share it with you on your show tonight. <laughs> I couldn't understand. See, you guys get all these phones from me. I mean, it's good oh stuff, man. We're not stopping you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened was that after they played his funeral, the band played, they had his coffin line there, you know, and Dickie Betts played his Les Paul. He wasn't buried for a year and 13 days. So I was asking, why wasn't Dwayne Allman buried? I mean, why did they keep a, keep his corpse? And where did they put him in storage? Because someone close had told me that story. Well, nobody would answer me. I couldn't find it out. Well, now I know the answer. And uh, he was not buried because his ex-wife had to close out the estate, and it took her that long to get there to do it. And he had a daughter who writes about it in her book. I think I can't pronounce her first name. But I have to look at it. It's like Gadriel, whatever, Allman. And, uh, but here's what's odd. When Butch Trucks died one year and not Butch Trucks, I'm sorry, Barry Oakley. When Barry Oakley died one year and 13 days later, it just so happens Dwayne's ex-wife had settled the lawsuit and they buried them both together. It was like Dwayne Allman was waiting on him. And they're buried together at Rose Hill Cemetery 
where they'd take their guitars like Robert Johnson because they loved him, and they would write their songs in that cemetery at night. Spooky. But it was like he was waiting for him. And they were both buried together in Rose Hill. And to me, that is a very strange, odd story. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've never found the answer till just two weeks ago. And that was what happened. And, you know, just a lot of these odd synchronicities, odd stories. I mean, I love it. I love the research. And I love the ones that when they hit me, I can feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. And every time I listen to a song, and I listened to an artist like that that inspired me, that I love the music, and that died tragically. You know, it leaves an imprint. So what you have to do is you got to find some new stories and some great stories. And somebody asked me about it. It takes a while to become a legend. You agree? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's well, a legend was lasting bigger than the Beatles. Yeah, you, oh, you got to have more behind you to back it up. Like, like you, you do. Yeah, it's it's well, there are people that are legends that only made one album and stuff, but true it's the lore that carries with that that helps propel the legend so Mm -hmm. and you know it's your output of your work yeah you know you you can be a one-hit wonder and have a good story but you know you can be led zeppelin and change the world Mm -hmm. and that becomes legendary because more people are going to hear the story and it's going to be more things going along so i'm always on the lookout for new stories you know new twist i mean i right now i'm writing about a number of bands that are probably cursed because you had so many members who died Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, strange. So I'm writing about that now. I've got some things with it and I've got some newer artists and I've got some that go back. Uh, I've always been fascinated with the story of Bessie Smith from the 1930s. I'm not sure if you know that story, but she Mm -hmm. was killed in a car accident on highway 61 too. And when I think about Bob Dylan, highway 61 revisited, what do you think Dylan was talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bobby Dylan was one of the people that, he, well, he didn't say he sold, sold his soul to the devil, but he did intimate in various interviews that he did make a deal with somebody on the other side to, to push yeah. him along. So, Matter of fact, I got a video where he says, well, the reason I was successful is I sold my soul. Yeah. And he looks up at the camera and he's not smiling. Yeah. <laughs> you know that he smiles a little bit. But, uh, you know, those are all just great, interesting stories. And uh, the more you know about the life of the individual, the influences in his music, what made him stand out, what influences followed him, you know, that's what makes it just extremely, extremely interesting to me. That was what I was going to close the show out with, is you haven't written anything along these lines in quite a while. I've heard you on various interviews and things like that. And... um, I've always been waiting for some kind of a follow-up. So to hear you say that you're working on something new is, I mean, it's at this point, it's no, it's no secret to you that we're obviously fanboys of what you do. We have a tremendous you're kind respect. of a big deal. Yeah, you're kind of a big deal to us, and we, we're not, we're not trying to blow smoke up your ass or anything like that. It's just that nobody, there are people out there that do what you do, but you really go make it a point to go out and talk to these people. Yeah, they don't have the same, same passion. Yeah, and, and you, and you don't just go out and write. You go. You look for the really strange and the darker elements and the weirder elements of it, and um, that's one of the reasons why I'm glad I got to ask you about the things that we did tonight uh, about Kurt Cobain and you know all these other things. And I was always wondering is you know you've written about this other stuff, but since you've written that book, all of these other things have happened that all have strangeness tied to them. And uh, I was going to close the show out with what are you working on now? How soon's your next book going to be out? 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's and when, are, when are you coming back? Yeah. <laughs> when can we tie you well, up again for another two hours? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the, the, I intend to have the book completed by the end of the summer. And I always say that, you know, I always had the best intentions. And then I have something happen like, well, you do a consultant in Buddy Holly. So let me just tell you that when this documentary comes out, you're going to see some stories that you've not seen anywhere else. And, uh, and then I've got a film, actually, maybe a six-part TV series that uh, we're trying to put together. So that sort of takes you away from your writing. But I've decided... At first, after I wrote uh, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, I thought, you know what I want to do? I'm going to get more involved in TV and, uh, you know, do some consulting and do some shows. And uh, I recorded some stuff at the Sunset Marquee in L.A. And uh, then I thought, well, you know, people have waited long enough. It's time to give them some new stories. And some of the stuff I told you tonight is all new stuff that nobody's ever heard before from me. So I wanted to do that. Your next question is, let's not wait six years before we do our next show. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's not going to yeah. be six years. Not a chance. Yeah, because I still want to ask it. you about Paul is dead. I want to ask you if anything about Otis Redding. I mean, there's so many things that – Oh, like, man. Uh, you, know, you guys we, are great. You know, there's so many things that I, we just didn't get to touch on tonight because I could easily have you on here for another hour or so. But Lobo's throat is shot, and we've had you on here for two hours as it is. <laughs> so, um, you know <laughs> – let me tell you something funny, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, after I I was up in Toronto and I was speaking up there at the University of Toronto, and when I came home, I thought everything was all right. Now this is 2016, right? So it was in December, and all at once, I didn't put this on Facebook or tell anybody, but I I felt real weak. So my brother comes down to visit me, and he says, "Listen, you're going to the hospital." I said, "What? Hey, I'm gonna call an ambulance." So. I'm sitting here going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to going to the hospital on <laughs> an ambulance. How silly. So I get there, and they, they test me a little bit, and I figure they're going to let me go home. So I talk to the doctor in the emergency room. I say, okay, give me a prescription. I'm ready to go home. And he looked at me and said, no. He said, you're the sickest patient I have in the hospital. <laughs> and he said, what I'm going to send you to is intensive care. I go, what? And, you know, I turned out I had a gallbladder that ruptured. Oh, and I had to go through emergency surgery and it was septic. Oh now my God. they started putting me on morphine and yep. I mean, I never been on that stuff before. It's crazy. I've never been in a hospital. You know, I was going out of my mind, you know, and I thought I was there for like two or three days. It turns out I was there for 10 days and, uh, they had to keep me to get the antibiotics to sit in before they could do surgery. So, I remember, it's funny, I was uh, in my mind, I was in this James Bond thriller, you know, I was the good guy, though, and uh, my brother was <laughs> had come by to see me one day, and and uh, I, I could tell I was just, you know, out of my mind with all the drugs, and I handed him a butter knife, and I said, here, you know what we got to do with this, he thought that was pretty funny, but, you know, I remember, <laughs> just, to, just to finish it up, as they were taking me into the emergency, into surgery, that day, the last thing I remember is I was going in and I go, oh, my God, rock historian, last victim of the year 2016. Oh, my God. So it and then I thought, if something happened to me, I wonder if anybody had put that together. And, uh, you know, so even then, you know, something as odd and weird as that is so off the cuff. 
But I want to tell you, I'm fine. Everything worked out great, thank goodness. And uh, but still, that that went through my mind. 2016. It's almost January 1st. You know, I got to make it through 2016. That's I can great. see it now. You know, <laughs> rock historian club of tw- you know club 27 you know and i thought oh my god can't have that happen but then i was laughing then i started laughing a little bit you know and uh and to go along with it but you guys are great i've enjoyed this probably more than i have any show in oh, a long wow. time that means a lot oh, thank that's you. great thank you no that man really mean, that's huge and we've got a. Uh, We've got a great friendship started now. Uh, I'm very impressed. No, seriously, I'm really impressed with your knowledge of uh, the crossroads. Oh. I always thought it'd be cool if I did a TV thing. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. Well, there's you know, yeah. I, we've done shows on the crossroads themselves because the legend expands further than just Robert Johnson. You know, sure. there's there's all kinds of things that have to do with what the crossroads are and what they represent. And it's on all kinds of different cultures. You see it in mm-hmm. Europe. You see it. It in, does. It does. You know, African. You see you see it all over the place. And it's uh, it's just a, that particular story is just really cool how it all just kind of melds together to make like this perfect rock. Yeah. You know, bluesy legend that so many people, so many people have tapped into. You see it referenced everywhere. You see it in a Metalocalypse. They did a thing on it. And, you know, that was great. Mashed Potato Jones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you even better is that, you know, the, the first uh, instrument of choice for the devil to say your soul is not a guitar. Remember Paganini, the great mm-hmm. violinist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that he could play so fast. What I loved about Paganini was he would take and he would saw through three of the violin strings. So he'd play, he'd play so fast so the strings would start breaking. Pop, mm-hmm. pop, pop. And then he'd have one string left that he'd play these incredible passages. And people claim they saw the devil pull the bow of the, of the uh, as he was playing. And uh, demons were leaving the place. So when Paganini died, Right before he died, he turned down the last rites. Mm-hmm. And by turning down the last rites, obviously, man, he was a agent of the devil. And when he died, they didn't bury him. They put him in a glass coffin and put him on tour so people could see Panini. <laughs> and if you think about the uh, devil went down to Georgia, which you were talking about earlier, what does the devil bring with him? A fiddle made of gold. Yep. And uh, that's it, a fiddle made of gold. And then Robert johnson with the guitar so i mean you're right it crosses culture it wasn't really until christians came along that they kind of they took the myth that you know the legba story and, and legba became a figure of, of of satan you know of demonic right so mm-hmm, because you know, you're either it's like little richard says you know you can either make music for god or make it for the devil and there's also the and, story uh, that if you, you were offered a choice you were either offered to be uh, oh god i'm trying to remember what the story is now you were either offered great fame uh but a short life or you were offered a long life but you'd be relatively unknown and a lot of people obscur- obscurity yeah and you, man of- you are so so good because <laughs> what you just quoted was what alexander the great quoted mm-hmm. because he said that zeus appeared to him and gave him two choices a short life filled with fame or a long life with no fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he chose the short life. And he died at the age, uh, it's not 27. He died at the <laughs> age of 33, but three times three is not. And, oh, uh, that's another thing we have to go into in another show. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do that's it. Great. Well, I'm going to let you go, but um, don't hang up. I'm going to keep you around for a little bit longer after we finish this <laughs> okay. off. Um, that's great. 
thank you very much for coming on here and doing this. I, I, I mean, it's, 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 I'm sure it's obvious how much we've been excited to talk to you and, and how much this show has meant to us. We had a bucket list when I started and, and your name was at the, it was on that list and you were pretty much the last person on that bucket list that we've always wanted to get on this show. So, you know, when you agreed to come on here, I was just, I had goosebumps and I was super excited about it. And I was, you know, I, I, I had another excuse to go and buy the book again, um, too, this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot tell people enough to please go out and buy your books, which can be found on Amazon. I don't know. Do you have a website or anything? Is there anything that you want yeah, to promote right can, now before uh, we let you go? Well, sure. Uh, first of all, I have a website. It's called rgarypatterson.com. And next time I'm on, I'll tell you how, why it's called rgarypatterson. And then uh, also, I'm usually pretty susceptible to uh, having friends on Facebook. You know, if you'll write me and, and tell me you heard me on the show or whatever, then I normally approve my friends. But, you know, you can get in touch with me there. You can find my books at uh, Amazon.com. You can find them at Barnes & Noble. I always like to say you can find them at fine bookstores everywhere. If you go to your bookstore and they don't have my book, then obviously it's not a fine book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much for being here, Gary. It's 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 hey been guys, a tremendous I've loved pleasure. It. It's great. It's been fun for me. All right, thank take you. care, man. Thank you. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. All right, for the third attempt at recording this... <laughs> and I'm sure it won't be the last. No, this is going to be it. That is the end of a two-hour interview with Gary Patterson. Do go out and buy his books. They're great. I, it's obvious that I can't put them over enough. But before we say anything more, at this point, you probably are anxious to summon up the devil at the crossroads and sell your soul for glory, riches, and fame. So, Lobo, how do we go about doing this? Okay, so we're going to read a little bit of something here. Conjuring represents an African survival, and it is worthy to note that part of this former religion was not entirely abandoned, but merely given a subordinate part in a new system, Christianity, i.e. attributed to the evil element in the cult. Playing the fiddle or banjo is thought to be a special accomplishment of the devil. Depends on the banjo. Take your banjo to the folks, to the forks, folks. Or the fiddle. No, it just says banjo. Doesn't say nothing about fiddle. Okay. Of the road at midnight, and Satan will teach you how to play it. A New Orleans conjurer described the procedure to me as follows. If you want to make a contract with the devil, first trim your fingernails as close as you can possibly. Take a black cat bone. I'm sure it can't be any other cat bone. And a guitar and go to a lonely fork in the roads at midnight. Sit down there and play your best piece, thinking of and wishing for the devil all the while. By and by, you will hear music, dim at first, but growing louder and louder as the music approaches nearer. After a time, you feel something tugging at your instrument. Let the devil take it and keep thumping along with your fingers as if you still had your guitar in your hands. 
Then the devil will hand you his instrument to play and will accompany you on yours. After doing this for a time, he will seize your fingers and trim the nails until they bleed. Finally, take his guitar back and return your own. Keep on playing. Do not look around. His music will become fainter and fainter as he moves away. You will be able to play any piece you desire on the guitar, and you can do anything you want in the world. But you have sold your eternal soul to the devil and are his in the world to come. And there you go. That's how it's done. Speaking from someone that I know, it could not be or would not be me, this deal does not work real well with podcasting. So no, don't try it. Anyways, <sighs> we're beat. <laughs> yeah, because we actually be one way to put it. We recorded this show last night, and we're recording this piece the the next day. Because um, your voice was shot last night, and it was late. By the time we got done, we were on with him for. I think we were on with him total for about two and a half, almost three hours is yep. how long we were actually on with him. And uh, then after we got done recording, he still continued talking and gave us a whole bunch of really cool revelations and stuff. And I had record running here and there, so I recorded that stuff when the Patreons got to hear all that extra stuff. I think that was maybe like another 15 minutes more here and there of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um but as I was saying off the air when we were talking, it was really cool to hear him say, wow, you guys really know your stuff and you know what you're talking about and everything. Um, but as I was also saying, we uh, it, it's, it, was, it was hard in the fact that me and you wanted to ask him all kinds of other stuff. There was stuff that we didn't even get close to. We didn't ask him about the whole Wall versus Paul, Paul McCartney death hoax thing. Um, mm -hmm. There was just, like, I'd say probably a quarter or more of the stuff that we wanted to ask him, we just didn't get to because the guy was so full of information. And I wasn't going to say, hey, could you stop talking for a second so we can ask you this now? Because he just kept throwing all this, all of these things out there, you know. And um, I was also curious, you know, I'm glad we got to talk about, like, Kurt Cobain and David Bowie and uh, about the Hendrix and stuff, which he seemed really happy to talk about Hendrix because I think every time he goes on shows like Coast to Coast and all these other shows, they just want to know about, you know, all the basic stuff, which we did ask him. But then after, mm -hmm. I was like, all right, now we got that out of the way. Let's go into this. You know, and he seemed like he had a really good time. You know, he kept referring to us that we've made a friend in him. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's going to, he stated a few yeah. times that he wants to come back on. So. I absolutely am going to take him up on that. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I want to do it now, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to drain the guy out because I, I think we could probably easily have him on here for another three hours. And I know damn sure come hell or, hell or high water, I'm going to have him back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt, I will have him back on the show. Um, cause that was, that was, that was it. That was the, that was the one, one of the biggest shows that I've been trying to pull off since we started podcasting. He was on the list, like from day one, I really want to get this guy. And for whatever reason, it just never worked out. It just never happened. Then we finally nailed him down and I was so happy to get this show out of the way. And I was so ecstatic about it. Um, I'll have links to his book up in the show notes and, um, I'm going to try to, if I can, put a link to that uh bit where he was talking about with the spirit of if i don't put the link in the show notes for whatever reason www.spiritofrockradio.com for that recorded interview he was talking mm. about uh so go and check that out otherwise i think that's it so by the time you guys are hearing this it's probably the week after because we broke this show into two separate shows and there wasn't originally supposed to be a show this week and then next week everything's going to be back to normal again and if all goes well we've got somebody from your side of the country coming in to talk about yeah uh, your neck of the woods mm -hmm. it goes as planned which I, I think it pretty much will which well, is we have phone numbers and books so yeah 
and then um, that was that was funny how that worked out because it was like, hey, you were, you were bringing up stuff that was happening in my part of town in Detroit, and I'm like, wait a minute. Here's somebody from your part of town. Let's have somebody on from your part of the country before we do anything on my part of the show, uh, part of the. Yeah, and you got in contact with the woman I was talking about there, and she said she'd come on. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also going to be doing an appearance on Almost Educational pretty soon. Which, well, look at you, rock star. Well, it was funny because they've wanted me. He's wanted to get me on here for a while. So originally, I was going to go on there and talk about Polybius. Because I'm trying to put together this episode for Polybius. And then I thought about it. I'm like, nah, I'm not really sure if I want to do that just yet because I don't have all of my ducks in a row to do that. So I said, let's talk about the Red Dwarf, you know, because that's in Detroit and that's a local legend. I happen to know a fair amount about the Red Dwarf of Detroit. What, like the show? No, not not the show. God, I never liked that show. Oh, you're. We can't I never be liked it. No, I never. I I don't know why. I don't know why. I oh, love. I love. God, I love man. Monty Python. I love Doctor Who. Well, I just no never one. got into Red Dwarf. In my nipple nuts and ship me to Alaska. We can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. I just. I tried <laughs> to. I could never get into. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Black Adder. Oh my God. <laughs> I couldn't you get into Black Adder either. Black Adder goes forth. You can't. You're not fans of that either. I I might have to go back and rewatch Black Adder. Oh my god, dude, so, that is great. I don't. I know. I I understand why other people the like next it. Next thing you're gonna tell me you weren't a fan of Benny Hill. I was a big fan of Benny Hill. I love Benny Hill. <laughs> so no, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Benny Hill. Anyways, so I'm gonna be going on almost educational. We're gonna. They want to do a show, an episode about time travel, and me and you have done a few things on time travel. Um, we've had to deal with the John Teeter tots, as I like to call them. Yeah, come on, bring it on, folks. I don't Sorry, care anymore. Go ahead, load up my email. Tell me how much I suck for running the John Teeter episode. But we're gonna. Fortunately, they've already covered John Teeter, so I don't have to touch on it that much. But um. I'm going to talk about Madman Markham and uh, talk about the time machine from uh, Napoleon Dynamite and how it's, you know, it's it's real. It still doesn't do anything, but it is real. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm supposed to be going on there May, May 9th, I believe. That's that's the date that I'm supposed to be going on there. I'm be going on there on a Sunday, which is going to be weird because they're a very clean cut podcast, which is not like what we do. So it'll, it'll be kind of odd. Mm. But um. Anyways, I think that's it. I think that's pretty much everything I've got to say right now. Uh, shoot us emails, projectarchivist at gmail.com. We need more voicemails. Um, do do me this one big favor, though. Do, do us a big solid here. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any place that you can go and leave a review for us, please go and leave a review for us so we can stir up some more listenership and get some more people. Uh, we've got a few people join our Facebook page. Again, they're lurkers. They're off to the side just watching what's going on, which is okay. Because as of today, silently terrified. As of right now, looking at our Facebook page, we are exactly at 666 members. Guess I have to unfriend. <laughs> six, Stop six. following the show. <laughs> so we we are at the, we are at the number of the beast listeners right now at this very moment. So mm. we've got one person waiting to join the page, but I'm not sure if they're a bot or what they are. So I, I haven't. I, I don't want to let them onto the page because I don't want to upset that delicate balance. But maybe I should. Who knows? Ah. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, really. Um, yeah, go and go and give us a review. Go on iTunes if you haven't already given us a review. And I know the people are out there. I know I, I see the download numbers and stuff, and only a small percentage of people is out there like actually going and giving us reviews. If you would like to support us on Patreon, we have a link to our Patreon up on our um, our main website, projectarchivist.com. It's off to the right. If you join up, there's all kinds of extras up there, all kinds of extra shows. The people that were supporting us for Patreons right now got this whole extended episode with some bonus stuff at the end of it. I do try to throw some stuff up there as much as I can. 
can. Um, I'm going to be working on some more stuff in the future. Uh, when Lobo records episodes, I drop them up there before anybody else gets them. When I record my solo stuff, we drop it up there before anybody else gets it. So, uh, yeah, you know, come and, uh, come and toss us a dime, you know, or just, if you don't want to do that, then just at least please go and give us some kind of a review on iTunes or wherever the hell you download our show. Um, he just called all you guys tossers. Tossers and Let catchers. Let that sit in. Tossers and catchers. <laughs> mm. All right, we're babbling. So uh, that's it. We'll talk to you guys again soon. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. I don't know. All right, peace. Bye. Yeah.